Well, good morning, Sheridan Hills. My name is Pastor Jason, and I'm glad that you've joined us online and you've joined us here in person as we study God's Word together. On Pastor Andrew's vacation, I was asked to bring us back into Philippians. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at Philippians uh, chapter 4, verses 10 through 19. And also, if you would, just grab your notes as well and something to write with, because God has a message for us today from the book of Philippians. Well, the year was 2000. I completed seminary. And by the way, I have a picture here just to show you how young, youthful, and how much hair I had back then in those days. This is the year that we were appointed as career missionaries by the International Mission Board to the African nation of Zambia. We started our final weeks of preparation for living overseas at what was called the Missionary Learning Center of the International Mission Board. And in those final weeks of preparation at the center, we received a letter from a man whom we had never met. This man wrote in the letter that he felt led of God to be a prayer warrior for us. He assured us of his prayer support and asked us to inform him of any pressing matters of prayer. He stressed that he would pray and get others to pray as well. And throughout our time in Zambia, he would often send letters via airmail reminding of his, of his prayer support and that he has others also praying for us as well. Now you may say, why are you telling us about something 20 years ago? Well, fast forward to Sheridan's February starting point class. Starting point, for those of you that don't know, is a small group informal setting where we meet and you can meet church members and leaders and learn about God's plan for salvation, the great history of Sheridan Hills Baptist Church, baptism, meaningful membership, I serve, community groups, really the, everything about the church. It's where we pull the rug back and you can see everything in the life of the church. Well, I walked in the session of Starting Point back in February and introduced myself as I do to all the attendees. At that moment, I met Miss Barbara Bowler. She mentioned that she had spent some time in Maryland. I casually mentioned that years ago, we had a man who had written us a letter from Maryland who faithfully prayed for us and faithfully wrote letters to us. Her eyes lit up, and she said, I know that your name, I knew that your name sounded familiar. She shared with me that there was a man in her church in Maryland who used to sit behind her and one day struck up a conversation with her. In the conversation, he asked if she would join him in praying for missionaries in Zambia, Africa, named Jason and Kelly Hill. She mentioned how he would ask her and others to pray for us. Isn't it just amazing how God used a man whom we have never met to pray and get others to pray for our ministry and enter into an important partnership 
for the sake of the gospel. As we come to Philippians 4, what we find here is this closing section of the letter is a marvelous witness to the sufficiency of Christ and the support of his people as they support one another. There's nothing systematic about the statement. There's nothing systematic about what we read here. What pours out of this text is a personal, deep love for the Philippians in their partnership with Paul as he shares the gospel to people who have need to hear. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through following, through 19. Scripture says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He continues in verse 14. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Lord, as we study this text and see what you have to say to us from this text, Lord, I pray that you would speak clearly, that we would have receptive ears, open hearts. And Lord, as we hear your word and are challenged and encouraged, I pray that we would walk out of this place more like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you look at your outline, you will find that uh, I put the first five, first four keys of contentment on your paper there for you. Now, these are from prior weeks that Pastor Andrew preached through this text, and he pointed out some things about a contented person. The very first thing, that the very first point that the, the text leads us to is found right there in verse 10 that a contented person is confident in God's province. As you look at the text, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord. His focus was in the Lord. He was confident in the Lord. 
Secondly, as Paul continues to explain about his contentedness, he says that he was satisfied in little. Verse 11 says, Paul, Paul writing, he says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Well, the third point that Pastor Andrew pointed out from this text was that a contented person is strengthened by divine power. Remember, he talked about verse 13, which is an often quoted text, an often misquoted text, right? But here what we find is that Paul is reminding us that to be content, we should be strengthened by divine power, or as the text says, through him, verse 13 says. And the last point was a contented person is independent from circumstances. Pastor Andrew laid out for us all the circumstances that Paul had experienced. And in those circumstances, Paul said, In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Today, I would like to close out these five keys of contentment with this thought, this idea, what we find from the text here. A contented person is concerned with the well-being of others. If you look at this text and look at verse 14, verse 14 really is a launching pad for us as we think about this idea of being content with the concern of the well-being of others. Paul says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Now, if you would, I would ask you to take a pen and just circle that word share because it's so important for us to really get a good hold and grasp of understanding. It's the word sick koinonia. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Right now on Wednesday nights, we're having koinonia Wednesdays. The idea of fellowshipping with one another but this word means so much more. It's to associate for a task, committing to a lasting relationship. Well, see, the Philippians willingly joined with Paul in the task of sharing the gospel in good times and in trouble. Now, I just want to remind you of two places of Philippi and Thessalonica. And some of the victories, some of the good times, and some of the troubles that Paul had experienced. Paul's good times included the salvation of the Philippian jailer and his family. We see that in Acts chapter 16, verses 30 through 34. Also, the, the gospel continued to flourish as Paul traveled to Thessalonica and the salvation of Jews as they were persuaded in the synagogue in Thessalonica. The gospel continued to flourish as God-fearing Thessalonian Gentiles and leading women also trusted in Christ. But Paul experienced difficulty, didn't he? He experienced troubles. And his troubles included... In Philippi, being beaten with rods, thrown into jail, with his feet in stocks, his feet bound. 
in the middle of the prison. It continues with Paul's troubling continuing in Thessalonica where he escaped at night from an angry mob who wanted to drag him out to the crowd. Now, it doesn't tell us what the crowd would have done, but let me just give you an understanding of what the crowd possibly could have done to Paul. And I was talking to Tony about this earlier. It's same in his part of the world as it was in Africa. If someone embarrasses the community or brings trouble into the community, they bring that person out into the crowd. And you know what they do to that person in the crowd? Everyone begins to take mob justice on the individual, beating the individual. I literally saw someone in Africa who was actually saved by the police because they went into the mob and pulled the individual out who was being beaten. So I can imagine what Paul could have experienced if he wouldn't have escaped by the cloak of night. But Paul here in verse 14, he points out the fact that their relationship was a partnership committed to sharing the gospel. You see, in this partnership, it reminds me of what Pastor Andrew talks about in Starting Point. It wasn't just a a commitment to one another. It was a covenant together. They were locked arms together. Both Paul and the Philippians took ownership of spreading the gospel. And both were concerned about the well-being of the other. Paul as the missionary and the Philippians as the supporters. And let me just emphasize something to you. As we look at this text, we see both the goer and the giver are important to the task of sharing the gospel. So, as we look at their relationship as a partnership, there are some points that we need to really note and even think about in considering our partnership with those who share the gospel. First, we see that the Philippians' concern for Paul led to decisive participation. Look at verses 15 and 16. And you, Philippians, yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no one entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you alone. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. You see, the gospel had come alive so much so in the Philippians that they wanted others to know Christ. And so they were willing. They were willing to give consistently. They were willing to give sacrificially. And their gift and support of Paul was not out of obligation and not out of pride, but out of love for Paul. And what Paul had done in pouring out his life to the Philippians. Now it's interesting as you look at this text, and as you look at verses 15, and later we'll look at 17 and 18 as well, 
accounting terminology really permeates throughout this text. And what I wanted you to see is I wanted you to see the accounting terminology and in verse 15 specifically where it states that there was giving and receiving, the picture that we would have is a general ledger. Now I've put on the screen for you a uh, spiritual general ledger, right? About the spread of the gospel. Their partnership with the Philippians having a concern for Paul and leading to a decisive participation, they saw themselves, they saw themselves as one and the same with Paul as he went. And so, in their giving and receiving, their giving and receiving was viewed as credits and debits. And notice some of the credits and debits that I have here on the page for you in the account of sharing the gospel. Well, in Philippi, we see some credits Paul shares with Lydia. The journal reference there would be obviously believers added to the church. Lydia was the first convert. And in the balance over there, the soul that was added to the kingdom, eternal. It's priceless, right? Never changes. Secondly, we see Paul casts out a demon. There's exorcism that takes place there. The slave girl that was free. Again, a changed life. An eternal difference. But yet Paul also experienced difficulty. Paul was dragged to the city center. Facing persecution, he was beaten with rods. But mindful of this, whereas conversions we see an eternal significance. This persecution we see is just temporary. Paul also was put in jail. And we would think in the account of sharing the gospel, we would think, oh no, there's no opportunity for him to share the gospel in isolation in the middle of the jail. But yet, the last note there that we see in the ledger is that Paul shares with a, Bolivian, a, a, a Philippian jailer, and that Philippian jailer believes. Again, a jailer believing, an eternal difference. But Paul also experienced the same difficulties, or I should say di similar difficulties, even as he went to Thessalonica, which was the next city he went to. There, Jews believed. He persuaded some Jews in the synagogue. But we also see that there were Greeks that believed. Interestingly enough, the Scripture calls them God-fearing Greeks. And thirdly, what we see is that there were some leading women in Thessalonica, some influential women who believed. Again, you see the eternal significance, the eternal bank not the temporal, but thinking of the eternal. And we see Paul in his general ledger. In his spiritual general ledger saying, Ah, the gospel is flourishing. Well, the last journal entry that we see there, obviously, is the Thessalonican situation where the angry mob was coming to persecute Paul. Paul runs for his life. But again to go to the next city, Berea, and share the gospel. 
So the Philippians were concerned. And that concern led to decisive participation. They felt like they were on the same team as Paul. In their partnership, they too wanted to share the gospel with others. So we see also that the Philippians' participation included ample support. Verse 18 says, Paul, writing to the Philippians, he said, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Paul had everything he needed and then some. But my question to you is this. How did the Philippians know what Paul needed? How did the Philippians know when Paul was in need? Now, mind you, this is not 2020 that we're talking about here. We're talking about first century. News travels, but not electronically, right? Not quickly. So how did they know? Also, there's no record of Paul ever saying that he was in need. And that he needed financial support. We also know in Thessalonica, Paul actually had a job to support himself so he wouldn't be a burden on the church. So how did the Philippians know? Well, again, because of this partnership, they knew what Paul was experiencing. They knew the difficulties. But not only that, though, I believe they knew also because of the leadership of the Holy Spirit in their life. You know, for us, in the USA, this is almost like a, a foreign concept, right? We readily hear a missionaries in need because information travels so fast, right? But the Philippians used divine email, right? They used the Holy Spirit to lead them, to guide them, to help them to know when they needed to send something to Paul and isn't it just like God to lead the Philippians to send support? And Paul describes the support as being full payment and more. He describes it as being he, that he is well supplied. He has everything he needs and more. Well, the last thing that we note here is that the Philippian support was also well-pleasing to God. The ending part of verse 18, where I cut it off uh, on, the first, uh, on the second point there, it finishes and it says this, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, the, the gift that uh, Epaphroditus brought from the Philippians to Paul, was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You know, God is pleased when we use our time, our talents, our finances, all for His glory. When we correctly steward or use our gifts and our possessions for the glory of God, God is well pleased and God is honored. So my question to you as we think about this example of partnership from the Philippians is are these characteristics that we see of the Philippians 
a decisive participation. Amply supporting, putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak. And a desire to glorify God in everything you say, do, and everything you have. Is that in existence in you? Well, I want you to see that there are two sides of this partnership. And in the other part of this relationship that the Philippians have with Paul, we see Paul sought their growth in Christ-likeness. Notice verse 17. Paul says, not that I seek the gift. He wasn't going on seeking gifts. Instead, notice what he sought. He said, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. The fruit. It's been described, that word fruit's been described as the benefit that comes from your righteousness. From your sanctification process, so to speak. And let me tell you, Paul was excited when he saw the Philippians demonstrating their maturity in Christ. They were giving in ways that really didn't make sense to the world around them. Because they were experiencing persecution and some poverty as well. But Paul's desire was to see the Christ-likeness well up within them. The best illustration that I can give you of this is this. You've all, maybe some of you have experienced this, some of you have seen this. Parents with their child. And when their child walks for the first time, right? The joy that wells up in the parents, the pictures, the video, the social media. They want you, everyone to know, hey, look at what my child has just done. Now, did the parents walk for the child? No, it's just that the child grew up. If that's a long time for you, let me give you another example. What about a dad or a mom who sees their child moving not from crawling to walking, but maybe moving from childhood to adulthood. And the example that you see there, the excitement that you feel when your child, your son or your daughter, all of a sudden begins to make responsible adult decisions. And you go, wow, you're becoming a man. Or you're becoming a woman. The excitement that you see in the life of a parent or that you feel as a parent. Well, see, Paul is content because he sees them growing in contentment in God. And really, at this point, what we see is this chapter becomes full, comes around and becomes full, comes full circle. They're content in God. They give out of their contentment. And they receive more contentment. And Paul is content because he's not in want and not in need. But he's also content because he knows he is a partner in the sharing of the gospel. Paul, in explaining 
their gift. He explained their giving as an act of worship. He uses Old Testament wording to describe their gift. He says, The gift that I received was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now those words, fragrant offering, and the word sacrifice are words that we would be familiar with. Noah offered a fragrant offering upon leaving the ark. After he witnessed the judgment of God in the flood, but also as he experienced the provision of God and the safety of God in God's salvation of, Moses, of Noah and his family. In Genesis chapter 8, 21, as Noah exits the ark, he builds an altar and sacrifices to the Lord. And the scripture says, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth, and neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. The pleasing aroma. By the way, it's not just there in the Old Testament. It's also in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 5, we see the scripture here as Paul writes about what Christ did for us. He encourages the, the Ephesians to walk in love. And then he says this, As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is an act of worship. This is being like Christ. Giving is worshiping. But we also see this word sacrifice in another place in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Many of you are familiar with this verse. Paul again writes to the Romans and he says, I appeal to you, therefore brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Present what God has given you back to him as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Paul explained their giving as an act of worship. And the Philippians are supporting missions in a healthy way. And God is blessing the ministry. And let me just say as a side note, God will bless the church that supports the spread of the gospel. In the giving and the going, and the sending. As I was preparing this sermon, Pastor Andrew shared this with me, and I think you guys need to hear. Sheridan Hills is a church that gives sacrificially. Do you know that over $150,000 last year was given to Kingdom Advancement? beyond our work here. And we are sending people out. In the history of Sheridan Hills, you've supported the Coleman's, the Shalabas who are here. 
You've supported other IMB missionaries. You've supported students at Boyce who are preparing to go and share the gospel. And we're sending more. We're sending more. In the next years, there are more that are going to go. And I want to encourage you, Sheridan Hills, God is well pleased in our active support of people to share the gospel and sharing the gospel. Paul points out one last thing here. And he taught the Philippians that the one they worshipped is the great provider. Verse 19 tells us, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now I'm thankful for the screen here. I, I drew it a little bit here. It's a little bit uh, better. You can see it on the screen. But I took this verse and I blew it apart. And I want you to see what Paul is sharing with us here out of verse 19. The very beginning, he says, And my God, let me tell you, there is a great provider. And this is a personal God. Paul here is saying, He's my God. A personal God that no matter what the need is, we can rest and trust that our great provider, there is no need that is greater than him. Secondly, out of this text, we also see that Paul says, My God will supply every need of yours. There's assurance of provision here. God will supply every provision his children need. Now, that word need needs to be defined, right? Or needs to be explained. And the word need is not talking about comfort. The word need is talking about God is providing everything you need in worship to Him. To worship Him. There's assurance Notice it doesn't say he may supply. No, the term that's used here is that he will supply. The next part you see there is according to his riches and glory. There's a great resource. There's a great resource available to us because there's no limit to the resources at God's disposal. He has great resources available to us but notice the last part and don't miss it we have a great creator a great sorry provider god we have assurance that he will provide we have a tremendous or great resource that he has pulls from but lastly there's a great mediator and that mediator is Christ Jesus. Surrendering our lives to Christ and asking God to meet our needs in Him. Sheridan Hills, I know a lot is going on in this world right now. 
and the pandemic is on the forefront of everybody's mind. We see it and hear about it every day. Every time you look at someone with a mask on their face, you're reminded of the times we're in. But can I just stress to you now, let's not let up. Let's not let up in the partnership of sharing the gospel. Let's not let up in the supporting of missions both locally and globally. The sharing of the gospel to everyone who has need. My prayer is that you would see the mask and not think about the pandemic. You would see the mask and think about the need for the gospel in that person's life. So some key observations. Some key thoughts I would ask you to think about. The first is this. Have you believed in and received Christ who died for your sins? John 1.12, one of my favorite verses, says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Is that a reality in your life? Is that a reality to you that you have believed in Christ, the great mediator, and received him as your Lord and Savior? Well, he died for you. He died for you. Will you believe in him and receive him? But there's a second point I want you to, or a second thought I want you to think about as well, a second question. Have you forgotten? To share Christ with those around you? One thing I've noticed in the midst of all this that's going on with the turmoil and all the social things that are happening in life right now and the pandemic, it's very easy for us to turn inward and look and forget about the true need of the world. The true need for the world is to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be transformed by Him as the Philippians were. That it would change their life forever. If you're a believer here today, you know that. Can I just remind you of that? And can I remind you of this great task that we have been given And that is to make Christ known to our neighbors in the nations. And the last question I would leave you with is this. Have you become so self-focused instead of others-focused in supporting the spread of the gospel? I hear all the time, of people that are, oh, we need, I need to protect myself. I need to protect my family. I'm going to do everything I can to protect myself and protect my family. And you have a responsibility to protect your family. But can I just say to you, there is a vast need. And that need is for the gospel to go forth. And for us... If you're a believer here today, for you to partner with those that are sharing the gospel and you yourself to share the gospel so that the world can have true hope, true peace, 
and true contentment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you for what you've shown us in the life of the Philippians and shown us in the life of Paul and how their partnership is concerned and caring for one another. I thank you for the fact that Paul has shown us an important task of sharing the gospel. His commitment to it, the Philippians' commitment to it. God, may we also be committed to that. God, we thank you that you saw us dead in our trespasses and sins. And you made us alive in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would take this message, that we would take this understanding of our life before Christ and our life now, and we would share that with the others that are in our circles and others that we run and come in contact with, others around the world, that we would share that so they too could know saving faith in Christ Jesus. God, thank you for your grace. That's greater than our sin. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.